So I'm gonna mention that this is a lead-in for the Georgia folks so we can distribute it to them. Oh, good idea. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I am Jethro Jones coming to you from Spokane, Washington. I am the host of the podcast, Transformative Principal and author of the book, School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. I am a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. And to get a copy of that book, uh, first chapter for free, go to schoolx.me. Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cyber Traps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cyber Traps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as, what, as we look at what it takes to navigate our increasingly high-tech world. We would like to give a shout out to our initial mission partner, Buoyancy Digital. Buoyancy Digital is an advertising consultancy with an ethos. It was founded by Scott Rabinowitz, who has been in digital media since 1997 and has overseen $300 million in youth safety compliant ad buys across all digital platforms. For IAB, Google, and Bing accredited brand and audience safe advertising sales solutions, media buying, and organizational training for media publishers, reach out to Buoyancy Digital at buoyancydigital.com or Scott R. Media on LinkedIn. Greetings, Jethro. Hello. Good to see you, Fred. You too. I hope you had a pleasant weekend. I sure did. And uh, excited for this week. It's going to be good. Tell us what you're doing later this week. Well, later this week, I'm doing the first in a series of webinars for the Georgia Professional Standards Commission on uh, social media for educators and then uh, the ethics of online learning. So we're going to be covering some interesting topics. We're taking this live show as an opportunity to do a little bit of a preview of that for the folks down in Georgia. But from a broader lens, we're going to do uh, social media in the school community today. And that's going to cover not just teachers and educators, which is what I'm doing on Wednesday, but is also going to look at what can happen for administrators like yourself, uh, what can happen for school, school board members, which was my uh, past engagement up in Burlington, Vermont. And then lastly, we'll be talking about parents who um, I think are uh, an interesting dilemma sometimes for teachers and for uh, school administrators. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, one of the things that I would like to uh, remind people is that if they have any questions or if they have any feedback on the work that we're doing, we have a questions and feedback page that's on the front page of cybertraps.com. So please drop in and feel free to leave us any comment or question that you would like to have answered. And then one of the things that we've started to do is to publish a weekly list of the leading Cybertraps headlines, which is under the Cybertraps compendium, also on the front page of cybertraps.com. Yeah, lots of really great resources. And this week I'm also doing a presentation. I'm doing it to a small church group of parents and teenagers. And so that's gonna be a fun uh, thing to do as well. 
And if you want us to do a webinar with, with your group, whatever that may be, um, please reach out to us. You can connect with us both on, uh, on the Cybertraps website. And uh, we'd love to talk with you more about that and, and see how we can help. I think this is the kind of stuff that we're doing is just so valuable for people to be aware of and to be able to ask questions of somebody who um, has experience in it and can help help people navigate some of these things. So, I mean, today our topic is um, is embarrassing and fascinating and crazy. <laughs> so uh, I think the first thing is, you know, we have to recognize that social media has completely altered the traditional power dynamics of a school community. And I think that th that that is a rude awakening for a lot of educators out there who had one perception of how things would go in the past, and um, and now it's very different. Well, Jethro, if if I may, this is a question I've been really looking forward to asking you. So, you, you're a tech guy. You've been involved in this stuff for a long time, and then you also have just years of hands-on administrative experience. What's your recollection of the first time you realized that social media was changing the landscape for administrators in a school environment? Yeah, well, let me say that ever since I joined Twitter <clears throat> way back in uh, 2008 or 2009, I have gotten in trouble for something on social media in every single position that I've held. Sometimes it's, I mean, it hasn't ever been a huge thing. I've never like been reprimanded or had letters or anything like that. But there's always been something where somebody has said, uh, Jethro, is this really a good idea? And in fact, one of those, um, I this is so good because it was my, it was 2009, I think, and it was a spring. And um, I had uh, a fire drill that day and I posted on Twitter. This was really dumb. I posted on Twitter. This is, uh, we have fire drill with my worst class today. Not a good thing to post. <laughs> and sure enough, my students saw it somehow. And yep. and then after they saw it, then they they were like, you are a jerk. And in fact, I left the Twitter post up and I left the blog post up that I wrote to reflect about it because I I wanted it to be okay that we make mistakes. Now, with uh, the society today, sometimes mistakes cannot be easily forgiven. Um, but in that situation, it was not the worst thing in the world. And it was a pretty minor uh, example compared to what we're going to talk about here in a little bit. <laughs> so, um, so that was when I first recognized that my actions outside of class um, were going to have an impact on me and I need to pay attention to what I was doing. Well, I think that you're touching on a really important issue. Number one is taking responsibility for things that go wrong, whether it's on social media or elsewhere, because that serves as a good example, obviously, of leadership for the kids in your class. They may have been upset, but you had a chance to make mm -hmm. it a teachable moment, which is useful. And then I think the other thing, and, and this is on our list of potential shows down the road, is um, the very concepts of forgiveness and redemption in a high-tech world. And it's not really precisely on target for today, but I'm very caught up by the, the story of the young woman uh, who was going to become editor of Teen Vogue and is not now because tweets that she made when she was a teenager 
have resurfaced. Mm -hmm. Now, to be fair, she is, in fact, very young. So it's not that long ago, I think a decade or so, give or take. But, you know, I think that she, you know, from what I've been able to glean from the reports, she she made an honest effort to apologize for them a couple of years ago and took them all down and, and basically reflected on her growth. And the fact that she still felt compelled to resign from that position raises, I think, very serious issues about forgiveness and the ability to move on from mistakes. So we'll, we'll put a pin in that. But I think that yeah. that is something that we really do need to look at in depth because it's a serious issue for our society as a whole. Yeah, well, let's get into some of those mistakes, because this is kind of fun to look at it from the outside. And when you're involved in it, it hurts a lot more. So we're not sharing these as a way to like rub salt in the wound. But as a way to at the end, we're going to talk about what can be done. And so some of these things I, I think are important to bring up. And I think the first one that is appropriate as we talk about school boards is this situation just this year mm. where uh, a San Francisco school board was on tape and they were complaining about parents. They, they said they want their babysitters back about the parents. They said parents want to be home alone so they can smoke pot. And they used profane, threatening language against a parent that criticized one of them on social media. And, you know, this is... This this is one of those things where they were in a Zoom meeting and didn't realize it was already broadcasting and were mm -hmm. just, you know, doing idle chit chat before it started, which wasn't turns out to be not very idle chit chat, but <laughs> gives you an idea of some of the things that go on behind the scenes. Well, yeah, look, this there's a you and I have talked about the model code of ethics for educators. Right. And it doesn't precisely apply to school boards. It's really aimed at teachers but it should apply to school boards as well as, as to the people in the school buildings. And one of the ethical considerations is, do you understand how your technology works? And clearly there was some glitch there in understanding because either somebody turned on the broadcast and didn't let the board know it was happening, or they weren't sufficiently aware of when they were going to go live. And so they're just chit-chatting, just like you and I do before the start of a broadcast, um, hopefully not saying things like this. But, you know, this is really a, a, an example. People are going to have opinions about other people in their community. But the, the issue of social media and digital communication, of course, is that the distribution is so widespread and the ability to capture those statements and then rebroadcast them is a game changer in terms of of the potential harm that you can cause if you're not careful. Yeah, and it's really easy to cause that harm and it's really easy to say something inappropriate. And I think for me, the big takeaway from this one in particular is if you are in a position like a school board, you are there as a servant of the community and if you are a servant of the community, you have essentially given up your right to complain about that community in public. I mean, it's just not, it's just not okay. I mean, that's all there is to it. That's, that's what it comes down to. And they, they definitely should have known better and shouldn't be saying those, those kinds of things about their community, yeah. whether they're yeah. being recorded or not. I mean, that's what it really comes down to. These are people that you were elected by them to serve them 
and then to turn and and make it seem like they are nothing to you and they're just a bunch of potheads. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> well, and I think I the way I'd phrase it, Jethro, and that that I think is a good point. I mean, it as I said, everybody's going to have opinions, right? That that's an unavoidable aspect of human nature. But if you're broadcasting those opinions in a way, in a fashion like this, and this goes for teachers and building administrators as well, I think it raises questions about your ability to treat the people you're supposed to be serving fairly and equitably, which is your obligation as a public servant. And so that's, I think, really what ends up happening with these particular examples is they raise questions uh, not only about the individual's judgment, but about whether or not they're going to treat individually, individuals fairly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and that's <clears throat> that leads into another uh, one of these, um, which is a in Florida, a school board member resigns after making racist comments on Facebook about uh, Kamala Harris, and you know you you need to be aware of the community that you're serving, and um, and you would think, oh, that's Florida; it's only a bunch of white old Republicans, but that's not actually the case. You know, <laughs> you need to be aware that the constituents you serve all have opinions and beliefs and you need to pay attention to what it is that you are out there talking about. Right. And, and we'll do another uh, talk at some point about the um, first amendment aspects of all of this. And that's some of what I'm going to touch on Wednesday when I'm talking to the Georgia teachers specifically, but um, you know, there, there is a, an, un, there needs to be an understanding for people who work in a school environment that they have to be more careful about their words than maybe somebody who is changing your tire down at the local Midas or something like that. Mm -hmm. There's just a different role that folks in a school community have within the broader community. And that needs to be taken into account. Though the, the case that I thought was really interesting because it raises some of the technical issues that can contribute to this actually involved the school board that I was on, um, not at the time I was on it, but back in 2016, which was about five years after I left the board, um, there was a Burlington school board member who got into all kinds of trouble because his Facebook feed was filled with memes and jokes and so forth that were really pretty offensive. And, you know, I, I don't know how well you know Burlington, Vermont, but it's basically the Berkeley of the East. <laughs> You know, they talk about, you know, Burlington being the left coast of New England, yada, yada. It's it's very progressive. Bernie Sanders was mayor there for a long time before he became rep and then U.S. senator. So um, as you can imagine, these kinds of jokes did not land well with the bulk of the community. And the thing that was interesting about this, and one of the reasons actually I highlighted this in Cyber Traps for Educators, was that the defense of the school board member was that he was not writing any of these. He was just liking and reposting the stuff on Facebook. And so from his perspective, he was just sharing things with family members that he thought would be funny or that they would find funny. Now we can have a whole separate conversation about that. But from his perspective, his lack of authorship and agency was the important thing instead of what the messages actually said. Yeah, and that's an interesting idea. And as it relates to free speech, um, you certainly, 
it, we can get into a bigger discussion about this, but going back to the school board members and, and what they're saying, when I said you give up your, your rights to say whatever you want, that is a self-imposed restriction that you yes. take on as a decent human being with ethics. <laughs> There's a difference. You know, I'm well, that's well said. Yeah. Certainly not advocating that somebody like when you become that, then the people take away your rights. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that's what you do as a person in a position of power and leadership in a community. And, you know, I, I think that that example you shared about, well, I didn't write it. I was just reposting it and sharing it, you know, uh, uh, on, on Twitter, for example, all the time, people say that retweets do not equal endorsements as a way to, to save themselves from that kind of ire. And I think that that's, you know, we could have a whole nother program about that kind of stuff, which would be, which would be good too. Well, um, we can totally nerd out on that. I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, there's a couple of things that, that I, and again, this is probably a little bit closer to an editorial opinion, but I think that one of the things that has happened over the last several years, and there's no question that social media has fueled this is the idea that we're we're allowed to say whatever comes into our minds. You know, whatever thought we have, we are empowered to share that with the world. And I think that we need to reflect on what it means to belong to a community. And that that sometimes there are things we restrain ourselves from doing in order to be a good member of that community. And that seems to me to be one of the things that gets lost in a lot of these examples we're talking about. Yeah, we that needs to be the priority, in my opinion, for sure. So let's. Well, let, yes, please go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to transition to the next one, which is a, a super a superintendent in Texas had to resign after posting on a public Facebook page, quote, you can't count on a black QB. And what he said after that was, as an educator, this experience taught me that I still have a lot to learn. My comments were not only uninformed, but also hurtful. And I understand now why they were offensive to so many people. And he said he mistakenly thought he was responding to a friend's private message. And even though he deleted it, it still showed up um, in the Houston Chronicle later. So that Mm -hmm. uh, because somebody, of course, took a screenshot of it. (laughs) Right. Well, and there's so many teachable aspects to this, aren't there, Jethro? Because Mm -hmm. This situation where somebody was not careful about how they were using Facebook, right? And Facebook, to be fair, does not help people necessarily (laughs) um, understand the difference between a private message and a public facing post. And, you know, it's, I, I honestly, I shake my head. I, I feel for people out there because even if you use this stuff constantly and you study it all the time, it's still confusing. You know, Facebook changes how it does things frequently. So does Twitter. Um, You know, it's just, it's really hard to keep up with things. That is one of the reasons that the overarching recommendation is always to slow down and make sure you know what you're doing. Because here's a guy who lost, what was he being paid, Jethro, $113,000 a year? I mean, yeah, he lost that from, with the click of a button. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really just amazing stuff. And I, I think of all of the examples in, in the book and, and in the things we're talking about today, 
you know, this is one of the better ones in the sense that the the principal really tried to acknowledge what had gone wrong and that it was not appropriate and so on and so forth. Um, other people have been less successful <laughs> in terms yeah, of their yeah. ability. Um, one other case that I thought was really interesting and, and probably a cautionary tale in terms of power dynamics was a case that arose a couple of years ago up in New York State where a superintendent was forced to resign from a school district after his soon-to-be ex-wife tweeted out the news or the allegation, I guess I should say, but the allegation that he was having an affair with a subordinate. And, and the teachable part of that, of course, is that since everybody has access to social media, how you treat the people around you is something you really need to think through because social media can be leveraged in a lot of different ways. Yeah. You know, and, and on that, there's a, another story um, that a Louisiana high school principal and her husband uh, posted images of them wearing people of Walmart Halloween costumes, which, you know, is, I mean, Halloween, I just hate that holiday. Completely. <laughs> so so <do> I. <laughs> it's, Oh, brother. well, in October, nothing at, good comes of it, right? <laughs> at, at the beginning of October, Jethro, I, I will pitch you a stupid Halloween costume episode. and We will warn people. I have reams of material of people oh, who have done stupid career ending things because of the Halloween costumes they've chosen. I mean, yeah. it, it's just insane. So. Um, we'll we'll put that off until October, but there's a lot of material, and you know, it it just it it gets us into this very difficult area about whether or not I, I've I've heard people say this like, well, you can't make jokes anymore, and mm. it's it's an interesting complaint and it's an interesting discussion to have because you know humor is a very delicate thing. And I know a lot of comedians get very upset about the reactions that they get on social media, you know, when when they try to do something. Humor can often be very edgy, but I guess a lot of it has to do with who's on the receiving end or the butt end of the joke. Yeah. And and that piece, I mean, again, we can we can talk a lot more about this, but <laughs> you know, just um just getting rid of somebody for hurting someone's feelings um is is one thing, but then when people do things that betray a deeper problem with their own personal ethics, that's where the concern really comes in. So in, in the example, for example, of, you know, in Vermont where a principal posted some um, tone deaf, uh, tone deaf comments about a, about the Black Lives Matter movement, um, recognizing where you are at in time and space and understanding that. And then if you, you know, if you are a principal and you are serving black kids in your community, and then you go and do something to further betray that you don't care about black kids, that is a really dangerous place to be because how can you do what's best for my kids? If you are saying in other arenas, that you don't believe what they're doing is important. So, you know, for example, a less um, incendiary uh, conversation about that is, you know, if if you are if you don't believe that kids with special needs can learn anything, 
but you're a principal or a special ed teacher and you make those comments publicly, you're saying, I don't believe that the kids that come to my school that have special needs can learn anything. Therefore, how can a parent believe that you're actually going to do what's in their best interest when the opportunity comes for you to make a decision or do something about that? And, and that's where um, I, I personally believe there's with, with people getting fired for these kinds of things, there's more of that happening. The school board was a good example. If you believe that all the parents in the community are potheads and that they just want their kids back in school because they want free babysitting, how can we trust that you're actually going to make your decisions? I don't think we can, you know? I mean, it's ridiculous. Well, and it's funny. I mean, you're anticipating you're anticipating one of the examples that I had put in here for teachers, which mm-hmm. was this teacher in North Dakota who actually was a special ed teacher, but she decided that she was going to use Twitter as her stress release at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And really, and just, and talk about the challenges of being a teacher in that environment. And unfortunately, crossing the line into criticizing specific students, not by name, but, mm-hmm. you know, still identifying individual kids who caused her particular challenges during the day. And as you say, if you're a parent reading that, how confident can you be that that teacher has that student's best interests at heart? Yeah. And and especially when those things are taken out of context and out of, out of time. I mean, I understand that people need to vent, but I mean, using a public platform like that to vent publicly about someone like I did with my students not a good idea. I mean, I own that mistake. I recognize it was stupid and I, and I paid the price and I, I leave that up again intentionally to say, look, this is a bad example of, of what you can do. So I, I appreciate one thing that a Scottish teachers union described, uh, the combination of smartphones and social media as catastrophic for its members. (laughs) I think that that is so apt. I, I love I love the English and the Scots. They have such a pithy way of putting things. Yeah. But you know, the the gist of that, I was reading through that article this morning before we came on the air today. And you know, basically what this what this union leader was saying was that it it's really Orwellian, right? That you know, if the school had put closed circuit television in every classroom and was monitoring the teachers moment by moment, the teachers would have a fit about that because it's it's such an invasion of their autonomy as teachers. It, it betrays a huge lack of trust. But this union leader was saying that when you think about the fact that, you know, particularly middle school and high school, virtually every kid is carrying a recording device. There's not a lot of distinction between the two scenarios. And so what she was arguing is that it puts teachers under this relentless microscope and second guessing by kids and by parents. And we've talked before about the need for better transparency in the classroom and that parents have an absolute legitimate interest in how their kids are being taught and what's going on. But there's a balancing act there in terms of our our expectation that teachers are professionals who are trained to do a job and Mm -hmm. and should be given an opportunity to do it. Yeah. And, and we don't really, 
we don't trust that a lot. Um, when it when it comes down to it, once we have questions, I mean, we we get really aggressive. And a few years ago, I was in a district level position, and we were looking at buying um, cameras to put into the classrooms for observation purposes, so that a principal, instead of going physically into the mm. room, they could log on and and watch what was going on. And um, and also dealt with a situation like that as a principal myself, where there was there was some real harm happening and uh, attempts were made to put cameras in the classroom. And somehow those cameras always ended up broken. And you're exactly <laughs> right about how that, that is what has that's what's happened. You know, that the teachers do not want to be observed all the time for for good reason. But then at the same time, they are um they are posting things themselves on social media that enable them to be quote unquote observed and, um, and doing and saying things that are, that are not smart for them to do. Um, but then also now with the pandemic, so many teachers have mm. been doing live classes um, over zoom and things like that, that they, um, they have, they have been forced into that position um, and there's not really any other options. So I, I would be, personally, as a teacher, I'd be very nervous about that because even it, it, and it would change how I teach because even though I wouldn't say inappropriate things to my students, um, there are also things that I, I wouldn't always feel comfortable saying in front of their parents, to be honest. And, and I feel like I make pretty good choices, but there are certain things where, you know, you don't want to say that in front of others. Sure. Well, and I think that this gets to the underlying point that we started the show with is that smartphones and social media have shifted the power dynamic, right? I know that, you know, when I was growing up, my parents, you know, who went to high school in the late 50s and early 60s would frequently talk about how, you know, the teacher was just the source of authority. And even when Mm -hmm. I was going through school in the 70s, you know, the the expectation was that if the teacher said something or had a complaint about me, the assumption was the teacher was correct until proven otherwise. (laughs) And now any kid with a smartphone is able to, quote unquote, compile their own evidence about what's going on. And in many cases, to be clear, that's been a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. The teachers have, a, teachers will occasionally do things that are beyond the bounds of acceptability, but it does alter this longstanding power relationship. And I don't think we've really settled on a new normal yet. I mean, I'd love yeah. to hear your thoughts on that because that, that's really in your ballpark. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I recognized long ago that every conversation that I was having as a principal, I should just prepare for it to be recorded. Um, because I know parents would record me as they came in to talk with me. I know that I was being recorded on phone calls with them. And because of a, a, a litigious society or because of a um, everybody being offended or whatever... I know that people were recording me. And, and so I just took that and said, okay, instead of being afraid of that, I'm just going to recognize that it happens. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to conduct myself in the way that I would conduct myself, but I'm going to be the very best version of myself all the time. And as a, um, as a teacher, I would do that also. Um, because you don't know who's recording and what's going on. And we've seen so many videos of things happening in the classroom 
that it is just absolutely tragic. One, what teachers are, are doing, what adults are doing to kids in schools. And two, um, that kids have to sit through it and that they are seen as the authorities. Um, so a story from my life on this is that when I was in fourth grade, my teacher grabbed me by the shirt and slammed me up against the wall. And when I went home and told people, nobody believed me because the teacher was the authority. Or if they did believe that it happened, they said I deserved it, which was pretty <laughs> awful also. So yes, I was a class clown. I still am. But what that teacher did to me was absolutely wrong. And yes. I, I couldn't believe that nobody believed what I was saying or thought that it was wrong, except for one person, my dear grandmother, um, oh. who was... Uh, she said, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And that was, that was pretty much it. But she, she at least didn't say, well, you deserved it. So I appreciated that. <laughs> so one of the points that I was, what I, that I was going to make before relates to this, um, this other story where, as we mentioned, the teachers are, you know, putting themselves in these situations that this teacher was fired after encouraging preschoolers to fight and then posting the videos to Snapchat. I mean, that kind of thing, it just, it boggles my mind <laughs> that someone would think that that is okay in any way, shape or form. And then that they would post it. I mean, that well, to me just no, is no crazy. kidding. I mean, the, the, the first rule of preschool fight club is you don't talk about preschool fight club. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> no, like, I mean, it, it, I, you know, I, I, it is amusing. I certainly hope none of the kids were hurt, but honestly, stories like this, I don't know how you don't laugh at the like utter stupidity that someone would do that. Yeah. I mean, as a principal, can you even imagine? Yeah. I mean, it would be super easy to fire someone because like, oh, you took a video of kids fighting and didn't intervene. Like our whole job is right. to teach kids how to interact appropriately and or <laughs> you just gave the worst possible lesson. Or even better, encouraging kids to do it. I mean, it's just insane. Yeah. This actually does bring up a or bring to mind a story from my school board days when I was first starting to look at the whole cyber traps concept. And I'll never forget the time that a fight broke out outside of the high school cafeteria. And before the student resource officer could break it up, there were already four versions, four video versions of the fight yeah. on YouTube. It, yeah. it was just amazing. And of course, this was years ago, even before this stuff had really started to take off. But the kids were already so adept at, number one, capturing the video, and then secondly, distributing it worldwide. I mean, it was a FERPA nightmare, right? I mean, you've got yeah. all of these identifiable faces it was just, it was nuts, but that's what kids do. They become instant reporters when this stuff goes on. There's a yeah, couple instant, of others. Go ahead. Well, instant reporters, uh, let's just clarify that term for our education <laughs> audience. We're talking about like journalist level reporters of getting yes. the word out to the world, not reporters of saying, hey, teacher, these kids are fighting, but of reporting it uh, journalistically out. A couple of other examples for teachers before we close with parents. Um just briefly, I mean, I know we've talked a little bit about the impact that racist and homophobic and transphobic comments can have. One of the issues that arises in a smaller school district is often the overlapping of roles. And earlier this year in Wisconsin, there was a high school English teacher who got into trouble for some of the things that she had posted 
And what complicated matters was that her husband was superintendent in the district. And ultimately what they had to do was to bring in an entirely separate law firm to begin the investigation. Actually, this is still ongoing, so we don't have a conclusion on this. Mm-hmm. But you know, just as a rule of thumb, when these things are going on, you want some clarity in roles in terms of who's doing the investigation and whether or not the investigation is trustworthy. So there's yeah. that. I don't, I don't know if you want to comment on that. but Well, and this, this brings up an interesting point. If your spouse is doing something, um, are you held liable for that as well? And maybe not in a legal term of liable, but in a cultural community term, if, if the superintendent's wife is the one who's posting these things, then uh, I would imagine they're having those conversations at home as well. And just because the superintendent is exhibiting restraint where the wife is not, I mean, maybe they completely disagree and he's horrified, but at the same time, you know, that, that brings up several interesting questions as well about whether or not that is, you know, it is, is he believe in those things too? And his wife is just the one with the, just the one that happens to be saying it. Um, that that's a, a thing that's curious also. Um, uh, I don't know if I mentioned uh, to you, Jethro, that, that both my wife Amy and I were on the school board in Burlington at the same time. Uh, we overlapped for about six years, and that wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would have to say, looking back on it, that it all generally went fine. Um, it was it was definitely a little odd. Um, I think it had been maybe thirty thirty five years since another couple had been on the school board together. Um, mm. But yeah, we'll we'll. we'll put that aside for another conversation. (laughs) (laughs) So the last teacher thing that I want to touch on with you is, I think, um, in many ways, a distillation of the contemporary environment in which we find ourselves Mm -hmm. in a whole bunch of ways. So this is a case out of California from last year. And, And the gist of it, the headline is, Los Angeles teacher flees her home with her daughter after receiving death threats when an angry parent shared a photo of her wearing an I can't breathe t-shirt during a virtual class. Someday historians are going to take headlines like this Mm -hmm. and really just lose their minds trying to parse it all out, right? So you've got the remote learning thing. You've got a parent observing the teacher during remote learning. You've got a teacher wearing a arguably provocative t-shirt during a class presentation over distance learning, then you've got the parent sharing a photo or a screen capture of that teacher and that resulting in death threats to the teacher. What a, what a combination of social issues. It's, it's just amazing. Right. And, and to be clear, that person's on the progressive side of that issue the person who's receiving the death threats at this point and um and that's that's an interesting thing as well because you would think most of what we've talked about are people making racist or homophobic remarks or whatever the case may be but this one is someone who's who's wearing a a shirt siding with the progressive side and and is now in fear because of what could happen to her so it really cuts both ways and Mm -hmm. And for a long time, the advice to teachers has been, do not be political at all. 
and and shy away from every controversial subject that you possibly can. And and that is one becoming more and more difficult and two um, is really challenging for people to stay out of those conversations. Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that we can discuss on an ongoing basis is the role of schools in confronting and providing a, a place for difficult conversations to occur. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me that ideally, if you're going to be teaching digital citizenship or civics in general, we need to figure out how to do that. Yeah. And yeah. I, I worry, and, and this is part of the rise of the digital mob that I'm working on, I worry about whether or not our politics is so intrinsically fractured that that may not be possible. And mm. long term, I think one of the things that we'll be watching is the impact of remote learning on the concept of public schools. And I think that's going to be that's going to be kind of an overarching thing for us to keep an eye on. Yeah. Um, it's intense stuff. It really is. Yeah. Well, let's go into parents. And there are a couple of things that we want to say before we start sharing some of these stories that there is a steady rise in uh, social media bullying of teachers and administrators by parents. Um, teachers argue that social media is making parents more aggressive and parents have access to so much more information about schools and teachers, including increasing the potential for complaints and activism. So these are just a couple of trends that we're noticing that I think is really important to pay attention to as well, that mm -hmm. um, as you become as things become more public, then it's easier for parents to have a case or take a stand about these different kinds of things as well. Yeah, that's that's a good summary right there, Jethro. I think that the, you know, again, we're coming back to that concept of the shift in the power dynamic, that it's social <laughs> media makes it much, much easier for parents to leverage information that they find into some kind of challenge to how the school behaves or to some kind of uh, complaint campaign to get someone fired, to get some change in the school and so forth. I don't think it would be fair, however, for us not to remind any parents who are listening that they actually have some obligation to reflect on their behavior. Yeah. So one of the yeah. things that you know, teachers now have, not only do parents have insights into the classroom, but teachers have insights into the homes and there are more and more reports of teachers seeing parents, you know, drinking alcohol, uh, smoking marijuana, wandering around half clothed during, you know, these zoom classes. Mm -hmm. So we'll just say we all need to think about what is going on in these little boxes that we live in right now. Yeah, that's just, that's so important. And going back to that, um, the the ability of parents to to have something happen um you know there was in in almost every school i've worked at there's been something where parents have misconstrued construed something or posted something online and um in one school parents posted a complete falsehood online about our school and the cleanup that it took to deal with that was just immense because nobody asked what the real story was everybody just assumed that what the parent posted online was gospel truth. And so it, part of the challenge is that when these things happen, then it just circulates like wildfire and it's almost impossible to keep it contained. And so, 
you know, there have been tons of videos and pictures posted of uh, parents doing, you know, inappropriate things in the background in school. There's been tons of videos and pictures posted of teachers saying or doing inappropriate <laughs> things. And it's like everybody's just like tattling on each other and trying to get a reaction from other people. And they will exaggerate and go beyond what actually happened to make to make sure that people, you know, actually get busted for something. And, you know, that sometimes it gets so extreme, like this case in Ireland where the teacher sued the parent for libel over a social media post. And that that um, gives some hope, <laughs> I think, to teachers that maybe there's some recourse, but usually there's not. Well, and, and the without getting too much into the, the legal weeds of things, um, one of the reasons that that case um, prevailed, the, the teacher actually got a public apology from the person who had posted, not, not just a public apology, but a public apology in court <laughs> that the mm -hmm. parent was wrong, is that um, the UK and Ireland have um, much stricter um, libel laws than we do in the United States. Of course, one of the issues that always arises, and, and we need to kind of organize a show around this, is that the First Amendment, which is really the leading, both in age and scope, the leading free speech protection in the world, makes it very hard to sue for libel. And mm -hmm. also, you know, raises these very difficult questions of, you know, what teachers can say or what school board members can say and so forth. But um, other countries have much less broad um, protections for speech. So in that particular mm -hmm. case, the teacher was able to get some satisfaction for the lie that had been told about her. I think the broader yeah. issue, and we'll just throw out one minor example on that that I included in Cybertraps for Educators. The much broader issue is that parents can use even a casual video to raise concerns about somebody's ability to teach. And, you know, one of my favorite examples is this teacher in Mexico who flew 400 miles to Baja, California for her spring break vacation. And she decided to take part in a dance competition at a dive bar somewhere on the coast. And wouldn't you know it, somebody recorded her dance performance. And even though she was not named in the video. Somehow a parent at her school figured out it was her and she ended up losing her job. And the, the mm. whole thing seems so utterly ridiculous in terms of the invasion of her, not privacy, but her, her freedom of action, if you will. Right. Yeah. I, I, that, it, it, again, that's a little bit more editorial, but, but I think that when you're dealing, of course, that's a private school as well. So the rules are different. But, you know, it, I can't stress enough, and I know you and I have talked about this, about the, the ease with which a teacher's career can be affected even by a legal activity that parents don't like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, no matter what it is that's, that's being done, uh, there are impacts to that. And it's important to pay attention to that as well. So let's just summarize to give some hope here at the end of the show, what can be done? <laughs> well, I'm not, that's a bold statement. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think that it's, that it's important because we, we do need to think about, you know, there, there is 
not everything is as awful as it seems and not everything is as damaging as it seems, but there are a few things that we've talked about um, uh, through this. And we're going to save this first question for the end, but number one, think before you post number two, slow down. Number three, know how the technology works. And if you do those three things, you're going to save yourself like 99% of the headache. That Absolutely is for sure. Absolutely correct. No question about it, Jethro. Is, so let's talk about that other question. Should schools ask parents to sign agreements about how they will use social media with, with respect to teachers and the school itself? And can you even do that? <laughs> right. Whether or not... It's, it's an interesting thing. Uh, probably not, right? Unless it's a private school. And the enforceability there is that your kid won't come to school unless you agree to this because it's much which more is, which that? is like that story of the mom whose kids got expelled from a catholic school because she had an only fans account right yeah 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 that's right that's in my list of headlines i forgot about that but that's exactly <laughs> right, right. Right. that one <laughs> right <laughs> oops <laughs> well we'll save that for another day um, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, that, that schools, Catholic school, Catholic schools, religious schools, private schools, even charter schools have a contractual, more of a contractual relationship with the parents because the parents are actually paying money to send their kids. I mean, obviously your tax dollars, yada, yada, but you, your kid has a, a legal right to go to a public school. You have no legal right to go to a private school. So if you send your child to a private school, you're agreeing to basically the terms and conditions of going to that school. Now, that being said, in theory, a public school's acceptable use policy could accomplish some of the same things. It's just not binding as a legal document on the parents. What it's really trying to do, and I think that this is an important comment, is to create norms of behavior, right? sort of social norms for that community. And that's actually one of the reasons that we entitled this particular episode, you know, social media and the school community, because that's really what it's about. What is the sense of community that we all have for raising and educating our children? So even though it's not legally binding, I think it would be a really great discussion to have. Well, and beyond just a great discussion, it would be a great modeling for the students. And part of the reason why people go to social media to post things instead of talking with the school itself is because the school is often not accessible to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. They're not open to talking about, they're not transparent about what's going on. And for reasons of protecting student and teacher privacy, they have good reason to not be open and transparent about some things. But at the same time, parents have to have an assurance that the school really is looking out for them and their kids. Mm -hmm. And if they're not, then, then the parents think, well, I know how to get this problem solved. I, in the old days, it was, I'm going to call all my friends <laughs> and then we're going to go talk to the school as a big group. And that's going to make a difference. Now it is, you know, the, the digital mob that does that work for them. And if it's egregious enough in that community, then they can get a lot of support from that as well. So I, I think part of the solution here is that schools need to be transparent. Like they have their only choice is to go to social media. 
Excuse that's, me, social that, media. That's a really good point, Jethro, and it, it's, it neatly encapsulates a couple of a couple of things in terms of this power dynamic, right? Before social media, it was hard but not impossible for a parent to gather together enough members of the community to make a difference, but it could be done. I mean, I certainly, my mother was on a school board for six years, which is one of the reasons I ran when I got older. And I watched this process and you would see people galvanize and organize to raise issues of concern, but it was very proportionate, right? The amount of concern in the community had a direct relation to the number of people who showed up. One of the really disturbing things about social media is that it's so disproportionate that you know when you are galvanizing the digital mob, and that is, believe me, a phrase I want to get out there as much as possible. When you are galvanizing the digital mob, there's a real potential for you to be um, basically uh, incensing and, and organizing people on a global scale. And so a school board can all of a sudden be getting tens of thousands of emails or phone calls. And it that that is the most disturbing piece of the shift of the power dynamic that we have to figure out how to address. Yeah, not to man, not to mention DDoS attacks or ransomware oh, yeah. <laughs> right. because of it, yeah. which which all happen too. Um, but but what you were saying that I think is really important is about recognizing that you are not just dealing with a small community, but that you're dealing with a global community potentially. Mm -hmm. And um, one of my uh, best examples of this is Joe Sanfilippo, a superintendent in uh, Falls Creek, Wisconsin. And he has uh, a, um, a hashtag, Go Crickets, which if you look online is all about his school district. And because he was one of the first to do it, and because he was really good at it, um, that name has propagated all over the world and everybody knows about it. And every time he goes to speak, he takes a Go Crickets shirt or hat and he gives them out at his speeches as a way to continue building his school's brand. And so he has this great opportunity to have a platform that he's using it for good, whereas what we've been talking about is using it uh, poorly and you just don't need to... Uh, it's much better to use it for good. And everybody has that ability to do that. That's a great note to end on. Let us all use social media for good. Yes. Not for <laughs> well, obviously, as you can tell, we have a lot of topics to cover, but not today. That wraps yeah. up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and rewards of digital technology. And you can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast services. We hope that you will uh, share the show with your friends and colleagues. And if you have questions, feel free to reach out to us. If you want to catch us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones. Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening, you must have really loved this conversation. We know we did. And if so, please leave us a five-star rating and review in your podcast service of choice.
And you can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast services. We hope that you will uh, share the show with your friends and colleagues. And if you have questions, feel free to reach out to us. If you want to catch us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones. Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening, you must have really loved this conversation. We know we did. And if so, please leave us a five-star rating interview in your podcast service of choice.